Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back. Happy Friday to everyone. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you're finding the show. Uh, YouTube, we hope that you'll hit the subscription button to the Outkick 360 channel. You'll ring the bell. That way you know we go live every day, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, across the Outkick network. We have the VolQuest Power Hour with Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com. That's coming up in an hour. A lot to hit in the meantime. Gentlemen, what's up? It is a big Friday. Every day is big on this show, but we need to make a habit, and I think we've done this so far, of really closing strong. We are fourth quarter players on this team. This is the fourth quarter of the week. We come into this day filled with energy, ready to go, ready to bang hats, I get here early this morning, and Lance Lee's already in his production Hat spot, banging. ready to go. He's banging hats. He's channeling my oh. guy, Cactus Jack, right here that I was channeling to start the show. We're going to do that throughout the show today, and I'm excited for it, boys. How about this? My, uh, my tooth-cracking incident that's a nightmare scenario for me that I lived in real life, I didn't dream about, but my wife had a dream about spitting out a, a constant mouthful of teeth. So I transferred the dream to her. I mean, that's no coincidence that it happens to me. And she then subsequently has the my nightmare dream about her teeth. That's it, weird. Isn't there a psychiatric explanation? Yeah, for we that discuss dream? this every time. We but I feel like there's a specific thing that you're thinking about when you have that dream because it's such a common dream. Yeah. Well, I don't know what that is. The, the dream element of it is doesn't matter to me anymore, but when it happens to me in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done with the psychiatric no element of the dream. Paul's, Paul's having a tough week over here, uh, <laughs> health-wise. That, that bagel incident. You really saw me, but you weren't here yesterday to discuss it. But yeah. I, you were long gone, and then all of a sudden you came back in when I'm, like, doing the look away. Yeah. <laughs> don't look at me. Did you see it? I mean, I didn't see you. Didn't smile where I could see the toothless face, but I saw you. Saw you the horror on I my saw face? you that night with the temporary tooth, and I couldn't oh, I was, tell a difference. I was normal. Yeah, I'm normal now. I just thought it was weird. I transferred the dream, so but I don't wish it on any of you. And I'm sad that Teresa had to endure it. We're going to transfer this discussion into another discussion now. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I'm going to. That's how I'm going to segue that. No more toothless talk. Uh, no more dream talk. No more even Cactus Jack talk. Oh, we're we're just going to go right into the show now. Here we you go. guys uh, more interested this weekend in the Open or the NBA Finals? Way more interested than the Open. Yeah, except the early morning thing is tough, though Ripley might facilitate some of that for me. Well, I don't even think you have to watch it live. I mean, NBC will be airing this yeah. throughout the weekend, and I think that speaks volumes to where the NBA is right now. It's a series that's tied 2-2, and they play tomorrow night in prime time. 
and all three of us would rather watch the British Open. Though we talk about this. We would also rather watch the British Open and tape delay. We talk about this all the time. Is it hard for you guys once you know, or will you try not to look at a leaderboard? If I know what it is, it's a lot harder for me to look at it. When I know a soccer score, it's much harder for me to watch the game I have on tape. If I know the British Open leaderboard, I'm much less inclined to watch it. Now, if I could not know the leaderboard, I, I'm much more inclined to watch it. So, uh, but a lot of it has to do with what other people do. Or if I happen to be on Twitter, which I'll try to avoid, and I peripherally see something. Wow, Morikawa had a great round today. Then I'm like, oh, hell. And he's nine under. He's the current leader at the Open. Although, as we sit here live on Friday, there's still players out on the course, including Ustazen, uh, who is in the afternoon flight, uh, along with Jordan Spieth, who is just rounding out the front nine at the Open. Uh, he's two shots back as we sit here right now. Chad, you had an interesting dilemma at FanDuel. FanDuel, you, you placed some, some bets on players to win the Open prior to the tournament. I've done this as well. I don't have the same level of payout that they're offering you. You can cash out now for a significant more amount more than what you put in, but you're cashing out on players that are currently in the top three. By the way, the TV schedule, uh, really not that bad. It's, it's early morning when it starts, but on NBC, it's going to run 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern time. Oh, that's not bad. So That's not as bad as Yeah, so 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Saturday, 7 a.m. to 2 p.m., on Sunday, not that bad. You can watch starting at 4 a.m. Eastern time well, on Saturday and Sunday on, on golf. I don't even think it's yet. It's, it's still Golf Channel. I noticed they've rebranded just to golf, not even Golf Channel at times. So my dilemma, Hutton, with uh, the, the cash out on that, I bet $3 on Colin Morikawa, bet $5 on Louis Oosthuizen. I pulled the room this beforehand. Before it started. This, is, this is a dilemma that I'm sure betters get into. You did this before the tournament. Before the tournament started. So... The possibility, I think, was for $150 in payback for Morikawa if he won on $3. It gave me a cash-out option of $20 right now. So I would have made $17 on the bet. Louis Ustazen, I bet $5 on. I think it's like $185 is the payoff if he wins. Still on the course right now, Mm -hmm. and the payout was $30. So $10, I think $10 to $20 more. And you guys uh, made the decision for me and said, or maybe Jacob Swanson did, go ahead and cash out on Morikawa. You can bet it again if you want over the weekend and then stick with Ustazen. That's what I did. The thinking being Morikawa's in the clubhouse, a lot of people can catch him. Ustazen's still playing. Um, I, I think we all agreed kind of as that as being a big part of, of the thinking. I also think, you know, from everything I see and read, Ustazen and this course and his game uh, really allow for the possibility for him to win. I don't know as much about Morikawa's fit for this and everything. Oosthuizen is a good links player. Well, Oosthuizen is always right there, right? So he's, he's finished second a bunch of times. He's I too- think the thinking is he's going to play good enough golf longer, especially with more round to play today, to stick around and have a chance on Sunday. And your cash-out chance will remain He's the solid. best player who hasn't won multiple majors. Out there. He's two strokes from having three majors. He is six strokes from having five majors. He is 12 strokes from having seven majors. He's been very close in tournaments, in major tournaments, but he has not won. He's won one. And the the course here is set up for his style of play. I mentioned this yesterday. I like Ustazen more than I like DeChambeau, 
And at the end of the day, you saw what happened to DeChambeau's style. He can't drive it all over the course just to get close to the hole. Now, it was impressive that he had such a miserable day off the tee and finished one over, despite being all over that course. He was very but candid. But he only hit 29% of his fairways yesterday. And on, at the open, with the rough the, the, and the bunkers the way they're set up, you can't do that and be in contention on Sunday. Oosthuizen's more patient with what the course is going to bring him. Now, that's why he hasn't been close to other courses that maybe DeChambeau is winning because other courses are set up for the, the long ball, the long off the tee. Oosthuizen's not that, but I think his patience can pay off over the weekend. He's going to be right there. That's a good bet. And already through seven holes today, that lead for Morikawa down to one with both Spieth and Oosthuizen at eight under. It was nine under, seven under. They're now at eight under still with 11 holes left to play in today's round. I, I like that. Look, I, I bet on Louis Oosthuizen for a reason. I like him in, in British Opens. I, I like the fact that he's been getting closer and closer seemingly in the last year and a half. And uh, I think he's got a great shot to be right there on Sunday. He should be right there on Sunday. I also think the other storyline here that I'm really paying attention to, the return of Jordan Spieth. Well, we've been waiting for this return to relevance, and he's been close in some major tournaments. He's, he's been right there, and then you'll see one where he doesn't make the cut or barely makes the cut. But can Jordan Spieth be a factor on Sunday? Because this also is a style of golf, this link style in the British mm -hmm. Open, that benefits Jordan Spieth. Well, he's three under today so far through ten. So he's, he's also playing very well, and he can overtake the, the lead during our show. Uh, another American, uh, along with more Karwa, that uh, we'll, be, we'll be watching this weekend. Uh, I, I just love the tour. I, I love the, the, the European tour and the way this is set up at the Open with, uh, I mentioned yesterday, Chad, you missed this. They have not cut the rough since May on this course. I mean, they have hayfields. You see uh, Mickelson, who is... 12 over, he's obviously missing the cut. Miserable. Um, I don't know how he hit this golf ball, but it, he was like mowing uh, the the mowing high grass, like cutting hay like a with, yeah. with a pitching wedge. And I don't know how he found the golf ball whenever he swung. He made contact and it got he got out of the rough, and that's basically all he could do because he couldn't even see the ball. You could not physically see the ball when he's standing over it. Bold move to not just take a drop at that point and say you lost your ball instead of trying to hit it out of a, a hay patch. Seems, seems to be difficult. Well, I mean, it's in play. Yeah. And, and he found it. I mean, they, they have the, the spotters and the, uh, everyone there. Could you claim ignorance it. and say, no, I don't see it? And they're like, <laughs> well, Mr. Mickelson, your ball's right there. No, I don't see <laughs> no, it. No, that's, that's not, not my, my ball. ball. I don't see it. I still can't see it. The uh, FanDuel, very dangerous on these tournaments with the top five, top ten, top twenty. Yes, I love those. I just look at it and look at it look at it. I watch this little preview show that I have where three people I like a lot who have great personalities and seem to really, seem to really know what they're talking about. They give you, uh, you know, four players that they really like and then they give you four long shots. <clears throat> and then I, I didn't watch this show until after the first round, so then I go see how they're all doing on the leaderboard, and then I decide, you know, a dollar or three dollars or five dollars on the, and you can spend a lot of time and a lot of money. Yeah. Game five tomorrow to night, uh, eight o'clock central tip off, 9 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Bucks and Suns back in Phoenix where uh, the Bucks were down nine late in game four, rallied back Giannis with the unbelievable block on the oop opportunity for Aiton. 
that is right up there with a LeBron block at the rim from years ago uh, that changed the course of that game. It was a tie game at the, at the time. Bucks go on to win and tie the series. And now it's back in Phoenix, where Phoenix has played very well. And Booker has played extremely well, albeit for one game in this series. What Devin Booker shows up, which Devin Booker shows up, and Chris Paul down the stretch, a very uncharacteristic turnover late in the in the final minute of game four. Does he bring what he brought to game one in game five? If he does, this game's all Phoenix. But before we talk game five, I had two things I didn't get to yesterday about game four that I found remarkable. Uh, the second more remarkable than the first. In game four, 24 points for Milwaukee off 17 turnovers. That, that was kind of the game, yeah. right? If you do that, you're going to win. The Suns were plus 11.1% in field goal percentage and lost. NBA teams were 171 and 1 this season when they outshot opponents by 11%. That's how unusual this game was. The Suns were 29 and 0 this season when they outshot the opponent by at least 6%. So they nearly doubled that up and still lost. That's how bad a failure this game was for the Suns in terms of how they outshot an opponent from the field and found a way to lose. If they somehow lose this series, and Chad Hutton and I were saying we're still totally thinking the Suns win this. I don't know where you are. But if they find a way to lose this series, Game 4, I think, is going to be the game that haunts them in terms of statistically turning the ball over killed them, and you still shouldn't lose it based on how much you outshot them from the field. It felt like a missed opportunity that that will... will they won't win the series now because of that missed opportunity. Because the, everything statistically, other than the turnovers you mentioned, you look at it and you think, boy, the Suns should have won this game, won a close game, gone back home and had a chance to, to close it out. It feels like anyone's serious to me now, and a big part of that is Chris Paul. Because while Chris Paul has been great for the most part in this playoff run, we saw – Uh, on Wednesday night that when he's not operating at the highest level and he's not uh, an assist factory and he's not getting to his spot and hitting that 17-foot little stop-and-pop fadeaway shot, the Suns are very susceptible. I I think that this whole series now rides. It's not not even Booker. It rides on the play of Chris Paul. I could argue the series rides on the play of Chris Middleton also on on Milwaukee. I, I think Giannis, a little bit more of a given, uh, with his volume yeah, of shots and what he's going to do defensively, rebounds, everything else, I really think the two Chris's, Chris Middleton, Chris Paul, the key for both teams. And if you're, you're Phoenix now, you're relying on a 36-year-old point guard it's to, to play at the optimum peak level at this point in his career. I think that's a risky proposition. I also think that we've seen from Chris well, Paul in the series and throughout the playoffs, it can happen, right? He can be great. And he can lead this team. But I think Chris Paul is the key now. What's the feeling about it? There's something about him now that I'm watching him a lot more than I've ever watched him that I don't like. But I can't put my finger on it. Is it the insurance commercials? Well, uh, they, they, don't, they don't help. Is it the Cliff Paul references that you're not uh, a fan of? They don't help. They don't help. You can't put your finger on why you don't like him? Yeah, uh, why I don't like his game. Oh. I don't know why you wouldn't like Chris Paul. I don't know. I can't answer that because I love Chris Paul. In terms of his game... There's something about his game you don't like? Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I'm not, I'm not a Chris Paul guy for some reason. I love Booker. 
I think it's hard not to love Booker. Um, but there's something about Chris Paul that, that uh, I, I don't know. Um, but well, I still think the Suns are winning this series. One thing I, I've I noticed, Chad, with Chris Paul specifically, uh, he's, something's up with his left hand. Um, he was favoring that in the previous series, and he was holding that going to a commercial break, uh, I think in the third quarter of game four. He was messing with his left hand, and I don't think he drove or took a dribble towards the left in the fourth quarter. I didn't watch it as closely as examining what hand he's dribbling with, but that's something I'm watching for in game five because that's critical to his overall game. I would watch the the hand issue. I don't know if it's a wrist or a hand, uh, but it was something that was bothering him in a previous series, and I think it's re-aggravated. Also, I, I would double it up. I would say, are you betting on Booker? The, the combination of Booker and Paul or Middleton and Holiday? Because we know Giannis is showing up. Which group are you taking? Because both groups are up and down. We saw game, uh, game three for Booker. He was nowhere to be found. He was terrible. Uh, game four. Ten points in that game. Game four, we saw turnovers from Chris Paul. Middleton has been up and down in a big way. It's either you're getting 35 or you're getting 16. See, game There's a big gap between those two players. Game three to me, though, you and I talked about this yesterday. Game three to me is the throwaway game, though. Game three to me was the Milwaukee has to save itself. They're coming home. Well, it wasn't a throwaway They've game got, for, for Milwaukee. Right. It was the game for them. But I'm not looking at Booker not scoring as much in that game or any of the, the Phoenix statistical stuff as, like, uh, benchmarky or disappearing. I was, I, I was, uh, Milwaukee winning that game in a blowout to me was the most kind of predictable thing in this series. Coming home down 0-2, if they were losing that, they were getting swept probably, and they're not bad enough in comparison to get swept. So statistically, I'm not taking, if you've disappeared for a game in this series and it was one of the other three games, then I find you inconsistent. That game, I kind of give you more of a pass, if you get what I'm saying, because that to me was going to be the, the most skewed game of the series. Well, here's what strikes me about your question, Hutton, and this is a bigger idea Mm -hmm. that I've had throughout this series. I don't know how to answer your question. I think it's a toss-up. I think it's a great question because there's no real clear answer. Booker and Paul or Middleton and Drew Holiday, for the last three games of this series, I, I have no clue. And we preach parity in sports all the time. That's what we want. We want everyone to have a shot. We want the ultimate meritocracy. We want to go into games not knowing what the hell is going to happen and be a complete toss-up. I see that now with the rest of the series. Yeah. I see that with these two franchises, these two teams, the way they're built. This, this is not – there are superstars, not to the LeBron James level in this series, but there are superstars in this series. But for those that bemoan the NBA and say, well, we know what's going to happen in the finals when the season starts. Right, you know pretty much one of these, at least one team we know most of the time. This team's going to make it. This super team, this star-led team is going to be right there in the finals. You've got an NBA finals with two markets not accustomed to success, with two teams with stars that one at least maybe needs to get over the hump to show they're a true superstar. Mm -hmm. But there is all of this intrigue and all these questions about the series, but that's still not registering with people. I I don't get the sense... Even when we don't have the answers to a bunch of questions, there's a bunch of questions about this series. It's still an area where people are not tuning in and rushing to this series for the drama 
of the unanswered questions. But but the, the those duos have been great in flashes, and, and those yeah. those tandems are the reason why both of these teams are in the NBA Finals. Just rewind to the series. Uh, Booker has a busted nose, and he's wearing a, a face shield, and we see Chris Paul step up against the Clippers. Meanwhile, in Milwaukee, in a back-and-forth series against the Hawks, uh, it's Giannis who goes down, and all of a sudden, uh, Middleton steps up in a big way. He plays like a number one player. So, uh, and, and Holiday starts driving the lane and, and making an impact. So which of those groups helps this team win a best-of-three now as Hot, they go to Game 5? Oddly, and I think you're asking a good question, oddly, probably to a large degree because of recency bias, if you're asking me to choose between those two tandems, I'm taking Middle, Middleton and Holiday, and I still feel like the Suns are going to win, though. So I'm kind of uh, splitting it. I, there, there's no way the Suns win unless Booker is a huge part of winning that that bet that I'm putting out. I there think Booker. I, I think Booker is the best of will be the best of the four. But if if I had to pick a pair, I'd say Middleton to Holiday. I, I, I'm down on Paul. I, I, Paul has stepped up in some. Big ways throughout the postseason. I think he does again tomorrow night. I, I I'm watching the the left hand to see how how he he favors uh, going to one side or the other. Uh, that will dictate everything. But uh, a healthy Chris Paul, I, I'm taking that duo of Paul and Booker. The ratings battle between early morning on NBC and later at night on ABC uh, is going to be a fascinating one this weekend to follow. British Open, you want to talk about every excuse to not rate well. You've got an international event taking place at an odd time versus a game five between two teams tied at two games apiece in a pivotal, mm-hmm. pivotal game five. Who wins that rating ba- ratings battle is going to be interesting to watch over the weekend. Well, I mean, it's not a numbers-to-numbers numbers comparison, but it's a who's doing well in their context. The Open isn't going to compare numbers-wise to the NBA, even with the NBA not doing well. Well, and then when you look it's at Saturday and thing, Sunday right? of the British Open, I mean, that's not even right. the final round. You know, Sunday is the one you'd really probably compare it to to a Saturday night because that's the final. I've got ratings fatigue. Like, I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what happens in all of these things. I'm not going to watch any of it start to finish. Uh, because I've got stuff going on during the day both days and because I don't watch NBA games start to finish generally as a rule. It's too big a time commitment, and the first half is, is too little of an influence to me over what happens in a game. But I've kind of got ratings conversation fatigue. So I hope there are bigger storylines present themselves to answer some of these questions that, that we're posing um, and, and more well, moments I, I more moments like Giannis's uh, defense of the alley and the oop that, that warrant. Well, even if I wanted to have discussion. ratings fatigue, and, and there have been times where I've but had ratings fatigue. They're not going to be good. Well, we can't, I, I can't have ratings fatigue on this show because that dictates what we're talking about. So we have to follow what well, people we're talk, are talking we've about We've talked a ratings. lot about the NBA Finals for a thing that's lowly rated because it's what's going on in the world of sports. But there's also, a lot about the All-Star also game, what's going on in the world of sports is discussions of ratings and why people aren't, why sports aren't registering with people. That's it's, also I mean, something sure. that's going on. And we've on. discussed that thoroughly, and, too. And the chat we had last, or two weeks ago, Paul, was you wanted closer NBA games. Uh, I do. It's a series tied 2-2. 
Uh, close and, series. And, and what has go. been a close, close series, games. and it's not rating well. And, and the other other and night was close. Now they're in prime time on Saturday night on ABC. So we we kick it back to Phoenix. I'm, I'm intrigued with the series. I'm in on watching it. But uh, I, I just I wonder how many across the nation will be doing the same. Coming up, we talk Conor McGregor, Tom Brady, and much more. Plus, uh, hook em horns and horns down. Uh, upside down horns, the VY. Uh, we'll, we'll tell our inside story with the, uh, the insult to VY uh, and, and what the, the Big 12 is attempting to do in the rule book for 2021. That's straight ahead. First, though, mydrhank.com slash outkick. Look, erectile dysfunction affects over half of all men. It does not make you have to feel like half of a man. Since 2017, My Dr. Hank has been making America hard again. My Dr. Hank helps you get low-cost ED meds to overcome the psychological and emotional barriers to getting ED treatment. And you should not be embarrassed about any of this. It affects over half of men out there. But if, if you want to have something shipped to you discreetly, guess what? My Dr. Hank... They've got you. They can ship it to your home or office, and they can do so from a pharmacy in the United States. And what an offer. MyDrHank.com slash Outkick. You go there, you sign up, you get 50% off your first subscription order. So cost not much of a factor here for you to try this out and see if it's what you need and if it's the right thing for you. 50% off MyDrHank.com slash Outkick. MyDrHank.com slash Outkick. We are back, Outkick 360, across the Outkick network. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscription button. You're automatically entered to win a Sony and Hertz Audison prize pack. It's a full car stereo system, valued at over $2,500. We're going to have a drawing next month to all of our subscribers to the Outkick 360 channel. Big thanks to Sony and Hertz Audison for making it happen. Just subscribe and then hit that alert button and you'll receive alerts every time we go live or post new content to the channel. Just search out Outkick 360. Conor McGregor says he had suffered from stress fractures in his uh, left leg prior to UFC 264. He says that the UFC knew about this. Dana White, the chief uh, medical doctor, uh, Jeff Davidson, I believe is his name, who is a, a longtime physician there with the UFC. Um, as well as the Nevada State Athletic Commission, which would sign off on any injuries that he would disclose prior to a fight. If true, this is a massive story behind the scenes of what went on to get McGregor in the ring. If not true, it's just another attempt at McGregor's saving face. If true, really bad form and like smacks of old school uh boxing corruption kind of stuff which is what kind of led to the death of boxing not that mma's dying ufc's dying but this is the kind of stuff that that happened um if not true which is where i my brain tends to go just more of him continuing to talk and make excuses and not accept what what happened which I already said is, is a major turnoff to me and I would think to a lot of people who are peripherally interested in this and haven't been, you know, with him this whole voyage but are interested in a fight here and there and the result. 
shut up and disappear and go heal and, and whatever. I don't want to hear all your excuses. They're even in this sport, which is, I understand, made of being unconventional. There has to be, as I said, Chad, some element of accepting defeat. Because ultimately it's about somebody standing at the end and somebody's not. And he certainly wasn't standing because his leg was broken. I will readily admit that I have different standards for different sports. Uh, just like I have different standards for a uh, comic book movie as opposed to a uh, rom-com. I've got different standards for different sports. So I may sound hypocritical at times when I am telling a basketball player or basketball coach to stand up there and accept defeat and be angry about it and admit that they were bad. But when I talk about Conor McGregor, I say bring this stuff on. I don't care. He could be lying about it. He could be honest about it, and it could be some sort of scandal with a gaming commit or with, with a fight commission and all that. I don't care as long as it sells his next fight. And what this does to me, someone who's not paying attention to everything with UFC, but I'm paying attention to Conor McGregor. I'm paying attention to the big events. This helps sell the next fight. Him saying that he had a broken leg coming into it and that that's the reason that this happened, to me, helps sell the idea, whether he believes it or not, that he was not well, defeated, that he still has something left, and that there was a reason that he lost and it wasn't Poirier. I like it for well, that Why reason. are you fighting with a broken leg if, if you're going to get defeated by it and use it as an excuse after? see what he made? So, he, yeah, okay. But he could, it's a win-win for him. I, I, yeah. I make the money, I fight, and I, I either win or I blame a loss on a broken leg. It's BS. He's got, it has to be a consequence. He, he, ha, he claims that he had stress fractures, that the UFC, Dana White, and he, he's named all this in a video. UFC has not returned comment on this. They have another event this weekend in Vegas where they will be asked about it. So we'll get more clarification over the weekend tomorrow. Uh, with a fight night that they're hosting. Uh, but McGregor sells, Paul. He's not going away. 1.6 million buys for UFC 264. Israel Adesanya, who I said is the up-and-coming star, was at UFC 263. 600,000 pay-per-view buys for him. That's the difference. McGregor's nearly tripling the buy rate anytime he's on TV. You will pay a premium price to watch him fight. And when I say you, the vast majority of people, bars, uh, their, their bars were buying the fight at a large clip, a large number, so they could host people in their bars this past weekend. They weren't doing that for previous fights leading up to 264. There, there's a fine. big there's interest difference. There's nothing to sell difference. now for 16 months while he recovers from this. Uh, no, well, I think the whole thing is a sales pitch. It may not be 16 months, though. Yeah, he's saying, he's saying one year. I know his, his stated goal is to be back in fighting in exactly one year. But I think that part, the build-up to the next one, Mm-hmm. It starts now. It started when he was on the mat with the broken leg. I, I think it all plays into this sales pitch. And, Paul, you may be right in the end. He's, he may look like an idiot. He may go out and get knocked out in round one next go-around, and even more people are going to buy into the pay-per-view. He's going to make even more money. He's going to make millions more. And then by the time that he is shown to be a fraud with all this, at the end of his career, it's not going to matter well, because he sold all of us on right. the next fight. Well, I'd regardless. like to watch him get his ass beat. Well, what's going to happen? It's already happened he, two times in a row. He's going to go, he'll fight again in the UFC. He will then branch off and go back into boxing. You will see him get the Pacquiao fight. He has been, that's what he was training for prior to January's bout with Dustin Poirier. I mentioned this all came about 
at the end of last year because Pacquiao pulled out of a, 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 a fight, a boxing match with McGregor, and so he challenged Poirier to a charity boxing match uh, as a rematch to something that they took, that took place four or five years ago. So that's how it all came about. I think he'll circle back to the boxing ring. He will be back in UFC, uh, and when he gets when he loses again in UFC, that's when the card takes a big hit. But I, I think he can play back the comeback one time and get the buy rate that that we just saw. It, it, oh, I agree with a, that. There's a massive fanfare to it, uh, and it, it's the old Howard Stern line uh, that program directors would use. People that love him listened to about 45 minutes more than the casual radio listener, which was about an hour. The people that hated Howard Stern listened double the amount of the people that loved him, nearly two hours per day. That's why McGregor sells. And both so, of them, both of those audiences said, when asked why, said to see what he does next. And that's exactly yeah. what people want to see that's right. with, with McGregor, to see what he does next. Now look, I, I, I buy the interest in what he does next. He's just less and less likable and he's fine with that ufc's fine with that yeah that, that sells i respected what he did against mayweather and his willingness to to branch out in that knowing that the and he did very better i think we all lose. agree and we watched the first couple of rounds of that fight and he did yeah, pretty well that, so there's a there's a salesmanship there too that he shows up and actually puts on a show and he's not just a tomato can against mayweather who's the best at his craft but i will say this and you guys may disagree. There is something to be said at this stage of this kind of storyline mm -hmm. for mysteriously kind of creating a little mystery and disappearing. Rocky went to Russia and was out of the limelight training in the snow, right? You go away for a while and everybody wonders, hey, what's McGregor up to and everything? Then you come back with a lot of fanfare. If I have to hear from you weekly, or bi-weekly or monthly for the next year, to me, and I'm not saying I'm everybody, that's less intriguing yeah. than if you're gone for a while and you create a vacuum. Sometimes you create a vacuum that isn't filled, and then the vacuum demands, uh, it creates a desire, a need, a want. Then when you come fill the vacuum, that's an event. If you don't create the vacuum, there isn't the desire for you that there, there could be. And I don't know if he can, uh, you know him better, you know the sport better, but he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's able to get out of the limelight for a while. He, he stepped away and retired, retired uh, about two years ago and was silent for a couple months. And then the UFC came calling because they needed him. Right, but they can't call now because he's not going to be able to right, do anything. Right. Zach on the YouTube chat says, Paul, is a leg that turned at a right angle just above the ankle not consequence enough for you? For McGregor, you freaked out over your tooth. Your thoughts? I, I, I don't understand you said the he, question. You said he, you want a consequence for him. Oh, yeah, that's a consequence. The way You said you want a consequence for McGregor. He's a meme twice. It, Poirier slept him in January, and now you have uh, the, one of the Paul brothers with a necklace where, where it's, it's McGregor going to sleep on the mat, yeah. on the canvas, that he's donated to Poirier's charity for auction. That's a consequence. I want, with and the consequence, I want him to shut up. As a consequence. For a little while, as yeah. a result of the consequence. 
I, again, I, I just I have a different mindset when it comes to fighting sports as opposed to yeah. other sports. Yeah. Things that I find likable in fighting sports, I, I would find not likable in virtually everything else. In a lot of other sports that I follow, a lot of team sports, for instance, that quality, uh, the not shutting up, the not. Um, it depends. It depends on the person at times, but the not accepting defeat and not just saying what it is that hey we sucked out there and we got our ass whipped. When I don't like when people won't say that in team sports, coach or player, I, I like it in fighting sports. Just flip it because though. it starts to sell the next one, and it's this sort of mono mono. You or me? I'm gonna win. You're not. You didn't win. Something if happened. Conor McGregor if you won, won this fight. Like with if fighting. Conor McGregor won this fight, and Poirier is on the on the canvas before the end of the first round with a broken leg. Talking crap. What is McGregor's reaction to that? Shut the hell up. What are you doing down there? I yeah. told you I was taking you off on a stretcher and you're going on a stretcher. Well, that was Poirier's reaction, too. Paul, how I mean, much He was in the interview saying how you can go back and watch it. I, I won. He can say whatever he wants. I mean, I, I won the fight. This, but I like that. Yeah, if Poirier listen. did that, I would have liked This is not just McGregor specific. If he's laying on the mat and he's still talking trash the broken leg, I would like that in my fighting sports where I may not like it in other sports. He's yeah. a fighter. Uh, McGregor's a fighter who's known as a showman. Yeah. But, but up until a recent run here, he has been a fighter that's a showman that shows up and delivers. Right. Exactly on what he's saying. Um, Mystic Mac is what they call him because he always says exactly what he's going to do in a fight, and he's been doing it up until this run with Nurmagomedov Madoff and Poirier. Poirier is a fighter who just wants to fight. And no one, in all of the crap that people are saying about McGregor, no one's giving him any credit six months ago for actually doing exactly what Paul Koharski is asking him to do. He shut up. He went to Abu Dhabi. He was extremely nice. He was gracious. He fought. He lost. He then came back and did a rematch with Poirier and became McGregor again. And now all, everyone's pissed off about it. Six months ago, he was doing exactly what you wanted, but you didn't notice. That's why he went back to the old ways. Fair. That, that, that's the fight game, though. You have to have the antagonist. Two, two guys, I, if, if they had a card where guys hugged and you know, shook hands at the end of it, it would be a, it would be a karate meet down at a studio uh, here in Nashville. Well, Paul, right? But like, there's room between the karate meet hug and saying you're going to take a guy on a, off on a stretcher, then getting stretchered off yourself oh, no, and still talking. Crap. That is sweet fight justice is what that is. Like that, that, there is no denying he had to do exactly the opposite of what he, told, he was saying Poirier was going to do. And there's, uh, you know, what it, Poirier's line was, karma, uh, karma isn't a bitch, it's a mirror. Yeah. So look in the mirror. Uh, that, that was his quote to McGregor after being... Uh, carted off like it I completely agree with Poirier Poirier is being who he is McGregor's being exactly who he is and he was you know and I mentioned going into the fight I didn't buy into all the fake hype, hype and talk because I felt like he was trying to build himself up mentally where Poirier was very even and that's exactly who he is you weren't expecting anything more than that Paul you brought up Rocky earlier I'll, I'll bring it back to Rocky with this and say there's a reason in those Rocky movies which were scripted Rocky never fought another plucky upstart underdog story that everyone was rooting for that was more soft-spoken, right? He always fought who was going to be the enemy well, of Rocky. It was either a communist 
or a brash, outspoken champion. I mean, there was always a reason for that. And Conor McGregor, to me, just serves that purpose but, as Paul, antagonist. You're, you're, you're not wrong when you say that the fuse is towards the end of this. Like, there is a lifespan to what he's doing. And so if he comes back and immediately gets back into the octagon with Poirier and loses again, what does that do to the brand? Like, he's a, he's a brand. Um, what, what, if they pair him up against a tomato can in the UFC and he wins, then that lifts him. But really, what does that do once he gets back up to the rankings of fighting some of these top guys? That's a great question. He needs another win against a top opponent uh, to, to be back to McGregor style and swag. Do you think they go straight to a top opponent? Or you think they go tomato can? I think they, I think they will attempt to run it back with Poirier. Um, that's my guess. Uh, and there's a chance that Poirier's the champ. Uh, he's probably fighting twice before next summer. And if McGregor's back next summer, that would be his third fight since the one we just saw, where McGregor probably pops right in there and fights him. That's how I, I see it right now. If he's not the champ, they match him up immediately. What's Dana White say tomorrow about this accusation of them knowing his leg was um, messed up? He's going to call BS. Got to deny. Right? He'll, he'll call BS, yeah. Um, and, and, and look, that he can also say that the Nevada Athletic Commission signed off on it because there's an independent Commission. physician Just like that always. will examine him prior to every fight. They do this every fighter. And then you fill out, there's a lengthy sheet. Medical. Uh, it's a, a huge medical sheet that they used to release. You could... You could uh, it's a public document. It's a public document through, through a the public commission. Agency. The, the, the commission came back yesterday and said that they're not releasing it because it is uh, classified information for an individual, uh, medical, um, which is interesting. So people now are asking Connor to just send a screenshot of what, he's, what he filled out and, and signed and turned into the commission that they stamp approved prior to the fight, which would have been Tuesday, Wednesday of fight week. Probably. I think the, the easiest response from Dana White would be, regardless of what I knew or didn't know, the Nevada Athletic Commission signed off on it. And, and then they on. have to that, answer for it. What are they I mean, he doesn't even really have to answer. He's like, well, who, it doesn't matter. that There's a commission for a reason that has an independent person that checks these boxes, and they said he was okay. And, this, this and that's not, a public commission. They have to answer. This would not be think, the first or, time. Or share a document that's public that somebody with a FOIA request should be able to get a hold of, I would think. Yeah. I mean, it's a public agency. Well, I mean, let, let's go back to, let's use another example. The Pacquiao-Mayweather fight uh, on Cinco de Mayo. This was years ago. It was 2012, probably. Post-fight of that, Pacquiao said he had a bum shoulder coming into the fight that he didn't disclose. So this is nothing new of a fighter claiming that he had a previous injury that he did not disclose. McGregor's saying he disclosed it and that he fought anyway and that, and that he was signed off and approved to fight. It's a little bit different in what McGregor's saying versus what Pacquiao said to Mayweather when Mayweather dominated him in 12 rounds. So it, it, that's just another super fight that I'm using as an example of a guy claiming that his shoulder was, was messed up and why he wasn't the same guy. This guy's leg just crumbled whenever he cracked. I, I think it, uh, he broke his leg whenever he, he threw a, a left kick that connected with the right elbow of Poirier. And then he steps back a couple bone times, delivered a couple shots, and then he crumbles right at the end of the round. Um, it's a fascinating story now, and now we all await Dana White, who, as we know, uh, will, will say exactly what's on his mind. So we, I, if he's not there tomorrow, they will release a statement from the fight night. They, they would have to. All the media will be in Vegas.
Uh, coming up, Brady, speaking of injuries, Brady claims or says he's been playing with a, a knee injury, uh, a serious one at that, since he played for New England. He's coming off the Super Bowl run with Tampa Bay. Plus, there's a Team USA member uh, that is out. Not Bradley Bill, another one. We'll tell you about that straight ahead, too. VolQuest Power Plus Hour. This. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Plus this. Ooh, I'm scared. Hook them horns upside down. Outkick 360 rolls on. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Brent Hubs from VolQuest.com coming up in about 10 minutes. We're going to talk hook them horns uh, in, in just a moment. Tom Brady played with a torn MCL in his left knee last year. He says that the injury occurred going back to his final season in New England. It's the same knee where he suffered the torn ACL back in 2008. And I mention this only because not only did he play at a very high level last year, but we've always pointed to it's going to be the injuries that, okay. that dictate the end of Brady. Keep an eye on this as we go into uh, another season where he'll turn 44 uh, at some point during the year. I, I imagine it worsened the last year. I would think because so. otherwise, why wouldn't you have had it fixed between the last year in yeah. New England and the first year in Tampa? You're right. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking the same thing. It's just an intriguing note as we go into the season for Tampa uh, as they try to uh, look to repeat. Um, Kevin Love withdrawing from the Tokyo Olympic Games for Team USA. For fatness. Yeah, well, and, and uh, injury recovery. He's got a calf injury that he says has really slowed him down. But Paul's not wrong here. He's out of shape. Uh, and watching him play, uh, he just looks sluggish. Um, so he's withdrawing. Uh, they could replace him, Chad, with Julius Randle, but potentially Tobias Harris. Yeah, they've got they've got a couple guys. And Bradley Beal's, Bradley now Beal's out, out too, too uh, in the health and safety protocols. Huge relief to Jalen Rose. With, uh, yeah. with yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know Jalen Rose. There's there's only one race that can get that slot, <laughs> and uh, Jalen Rose would be happy with it. We we certainly know that. Um, and the article I was reading was looking at replacement for Bradley Beal, which was going into big guys because they need help, even replacing a guard with a big guy. Yes. Tobias Harris uh, was contacted, apparently, that's been reported, but he is in some sort of international vacation right now. He's on a vacation in another country, so there could be complications with that. Julius Randle uh, was mentioned. Darius Garland mentioned to be brought up from, from Team USA Select. So they've got a number of options. And the Kevin Love thing, I mean, it probably was because of his injury that he's out of shape. But I would say both he and Draymond Green uh, are the two that, watching pretty much the entire game against Argentina, did not look like their NBA playing selves. Just physically. You can call it fat. You can call it fluffy. You can call it whatever you want. They just look different. They look like they haven't been doing much they, since their season. They ended. look like they need a training camp. Yes. And I think that some of them are utilizing this as a training camp. But we'll see if yeah. that's enough time to really get ready for the, the big tournament, which starts later this month. Okay, so what's up with the horns down controversy? Uh, th this goes back years. Uh, Vince Young playing in Nashville uh, was upset over Got in a, a fight, an right? upside down. So, someone came up to him and threw up the upside down horns, and th that was like a middle finger to him. He, he took that as an FU and got in a fight over it. I think he was shirtless and drunk. But, but, but that triggered him. Yeah. Um, they, the, the, the Big 12 looking at a rule, the way I read this, it's very odd. The way I read this is you, you can do this to a, you can do this with your fans. 
So if you're Oklahoma and you score a touchdown and you run to the end zone and you throw an upside-down horns, that's fine. But if you taunt a player with it, that is an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. That's the way I read the proposed rule that the conference is trying to in, uh, put into their, their rule book at their, at their this media This is way over-officious because uh, do you have something then for every team? Some, <laughs> some gesture for each team that they don't like that's unsportsmanlike? Or there's a, this is a special rule because Texas has something? Well, a lot of people are immediately saying they're protecting their cash cow. In Texas, well, they are. Uh, in in the in the Big Twelve, and Texas isn't even the best football program, and not not even close. It's Oklahoma. But if you can do it in through your fan base, is that really protecting this is Texas? Way, but this is this is where they just shouldn't have said anything. Yeah, there's a rule in in place against taunting. Taunting, right? If I went up and gave Hutton the middle finger after scoring a <laughs> touchdown on him, taunting. I'd get a penalty. If I wave to Hutton on my way into the end zone. When he's trailing behind, I'm going to get a penalty. Mm -hmm. So why even specify? Just giving the example makes them look like they're protecting daddy. And daddy resides in Austin, Texas. So why even say that? It's the same taunting rule. I can't give a, a upside-down hook'em horns after I tackle you and you're on the ground standing over you just like I couldn't wave at you if I did that. I just... I don't understand the reason to even say it because there's already taunting rules in place. Now, we can debate the merits of taunting rules. Is it really affect the game if I wave at someone when I'm going to the corner of the end zone and they're not going to catch me? Should that be a 15-yard penalty? Whatever. You know, that's been discussed backwards and forwards. But with this, just don't say anything about the hook'em horns. It's any hand signal that you direct immediately at a player because you can still go and score a touchdown, look up to your cheering section and do that. But it's also weird because they're talking about celebrating with your own fans or you can do it on the sideline. So if I do it to the Texas section, am I going to get flagged? Is that taunting? If I yeah, turn to the, the Texas band and start doing it? It's just I hate when we treat things like it's more important than it is. We are treating the hook'em horns uh, you know, or a downward hook'em horns like it's a Heil Hitler sign the, to, to Texas fans. It's not. The Pittsburgh Steelers fans treat a terrible towel – like it's a religious artifact. It isn't. It's a towel. It's a stupid hand signal that you do with your fans. It's equally stupid if I walk up to a Texas fan and go, hey, hey, we won last year. We won. And you're going to punch me because I, it's just all so stupid. Now, so why even talk about it? Because you're giving more credence to, to something that is stupid. I'd love for a Texas fan to chime in on Twitter or somewhere else and explain to us the holy significance of putting two fingers in the air and saying, hook them. There, there's not one. And now I would think kids on other teams, smart-ass kids on other teams, are going to try to find the places they can do it. Oh, I can well, do it to my fan base? Well, now I'm going to do it. I didn't even think about it before, but now that I know that it bothers you, I'm going to find situations where I could do it to egg you on. The reason they, they bring up the, the downward horns uh, is, is because they were directly asked about it at their media days. And the commissioner just said, he's like, we're going to treat it like a touchdown celebration. If you celebrate with your teammates, that's one thing. If you celebrate and taunt the opponent, that's a penalty. Well, and, that's a and reasonable they're, answer. They're, and he used the key word, probably a penalty, because they're leaving that up to referees the, the officials to determine the intent, which, again, goes back to the taunting that, that Chad was saying. They're already trying to determine the intent of taunting. Uh, and they're going to throw the flag if they feel like the player or coach or anyone involved is doing that. Uh, there, there would be the penalty involved. 
and, and they're using that as the example of a, a celebration that would be too far if you did that in the face of, a, of an opponent. I just hate that it had to be a specific example brought up with that because well, I, I think you just... Is it answer, only with Texas? What if you did that to, to a random player in the conference? And you, just as a, a if question. two players did it to each other in, into a camera at Texas, is that a penalty? Like, we can take well, this and to also, a completely I mean, different layer. They have an allowance for, like, a, an orchestrated celebration with your teammates. Like, right. if you all get in a circle and do the, the downward hook horn, is that a penalty? Or is it just a penalty if I'm celebrating individually right when I score <laughs> and no one's around me and I'm looking to the crowd or looking to the cameras and doing it? This is it, – it's a rule that's always been legislated by an official sees something, he says something. And right. he says something by throwing a flag. So if you see something egregious, you're going to throw the flag. Rashawn Golden at Tennessee got flagged because he threw two middle fingers in the air after a pick six to the entire Alabama crowd. And that should have been a penalty. And, and it was. If the, when the official sees it, they're going to flag something like that. I just don't think there should be any discussion – from the Big 12 about individual teams' hand signals. I'd say the same if Texas Tech was playing and they do the guns up, which looks like a bang bang, yeah, yeah. to their crowd. If you're doing guns down to them, <laughs> I mean, is that holster your weapons? Holster your weapons. We're all going to get together and holster our. It's just it's you're giving something more credence than it deserves. I think it's funny when uh, someone does the gator chomp in the swamp. After they do something, you know, it, is that automatically going to be a penalty? Can't if I that. turn to the, the guy I just sacked and I do it in his face, it's going to be a penalty anyways. We've already decided that's a penalty. But if you <laughs> want to celebrate with a gator chomp when you score in the swamp at Florida, have at it. I'm, I'm all for it. If you want to mock like you're leading the band in Rocky Top when you're beating the crap out of Tennessee to the band, go ahead. Have at it. It's just ridiculous that we even have to make a rule on this. Brent Hubs. Of VolQuest.com. You like that segue into the Vol- VolQuest it's hour? It's great. Rocky Top? It's great. Uh, I-, I wonder, you know, what what Brent would say. Like, what can we do to VolQuest that would offend him that would be, you know, we're going to throw hands over this? Well, Brent is very old like school in his approach to sports. So, um, I think he would be mad at a player for taunting another player and putting their team in, yeah. in jeopardy for sure. So, maybe he'll have a bit of a different take on this with, with someone does it. Now, I'll also say, whatever you do at a visiting team stadium, that's going to draw the ire of the fans or the other team, you accept the consequences of that action also. So if you're doing something and you're, the game's not out of hand yet and they have a chance to come back and something's celebrated on your home field the next year or in your face, you accept those consequences. Brent Hobbs of VolQuest.com next on OutKick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.